This is episode 257 of That Shakespeare Life. Just like the work of William Shakespeare, That Shakespeare Life is supported by our patrons. You can support our show, contribute directly to programming, and access over 150 additional episodes of our show not available on public listening platforms when you sign up to be a patron today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare Life. Hi, I'm Mary Weiser Hanks, and I'm the author of The Marvelous Harry Girls, The Gonzalez Sisters and Their Worlds, which was published by Yale in 2009. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That Shakespeare Life with my friend, Cassidy Cash. We know that the fire crept up the lane and it got to where Shakespeare's great garden is today. So if he was installed in New Place at the time, he would have um, seen the fire sort of spreading up Chapel Lane and perhaps begun to, began to get slightly anxious. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. In 1594 and 1595, William Shakespeare was 31 years old, and a set of fires tore through his hometown of Stratford-upon-Avon, causing such destruction that this natural disaster is one of the few major events in Stratford-upon-Avon that was recorded in some of the surviving documents we have today. The fires were known as the Great Fires, and in the aftermath of the devastation, the town gathered together to rebuild the timbers of many of the homes and businesses that had been lost. Many of these rebuilt structures survive through to today, and with the help of a recently awarded research grant from Historic England, the Stratford Society, led by historian Robert Behrman, looked to investigate how the timber frame buildings were rebuilt following the fires in 1594, 1595, and another one that occurred just a bit later in 1614, that they believe William Shakespeare could have even witnessed himself. Dr. Bob Behrman joins us today to tell us about the history of the fires and to share a look inside what they're calling the Stratfire Project. Bob Behrman was head of the archives at Shakespeare Birthplace Trust from 1970 to 2007 and is a fellow of the Royal Historical Society, honorary fellow of Shakespeare Birthplace Trust, honorary research fellow at the School of History at University of Birmingham, general editor for the publications of the Dugdell Society, editor of the Warwickshire History, and a member of editorial board of Midland History. Bob is the author of several books on Shakespeare, including Shakespeare's Money, How Much Did He Make and What Did This Mean, as well as several books and publications that he will talk to you about today related to the history of Stratford-upon-Avon and the fires that occurred there. Bob is a returning guest to That Shakespeare Life, and you can check out his previous episode with us in the That Shakespeare Life archives on Patreon. Hello, Bob. Welcome to the show. Hello there. Hello. What caused the fires of 1594 and 1595? Well, there are various versions. One of the fire in fifteen ninety four, the um official explanation or one explanation was that the the original of which fire came by the negligence of an old woman. 
put in trust to, to tend the fire of a brew house and fell asleep. That's quite a good example of what was in the popular imagination. This was a time of mass movement of migrant poor. And as the population grew in Stratford, new arrivals were squeezed into backyard developments. And in the popular imagination, I suppose, it was thought that they were responsible for the fires. And, and this, I suppose, it would be one, one example of that. Sort of good examples of the concern the authorities had towards the migrant poor. You know, if you came into Stratford, you would need to have two people to sign what they called an indemnity certificate. So that if you fell on hard times and became um, in need of poor relief, your two sureties would actually have to pay up. Another thing was they appointed what people called headboroughs, who would be employed to watch out for any newcomers in the town and report them to the, um, the, uh, the mayor and aldermen. So this was a reflection of that concern, that one of the reasons that they feared the um, migration into the town was that they might be squeezed into backland developments and sort of light fires, either for you know, their business purposes or, to, or just to keep warm, and that these fires would somehow become more serious. There was a third theory. One cleric writing at the time argued that because Shapton was hit by fire on two successive years and on the same day, it was actually a punishment by God for abuse of the Sabbath. So taking those things together, that's really all we know about the actual reasons that these fires might have broken out. Ever how the fires ended up getting started and in spite of the lack of concrete evidence to pin that down, we know there must have been considerable damage to the town from these fires. Bob, will you share with us some of the specific structures that were destroyed? Or what do the records say about which streets or even whose homes were impacted during these events? The main documentary evidence we have for the extent of these fires is from the corporation's property portfolio. They own quite a lot of buildings in the town. And so if you can look at the leases and the rentals and the surveys, you can get some idea of where the fire broke out. So in 1594 and 1595, we know that there was a certain amount of damage or quite a high degree of damage in, in High Street and Chapel Street, uh, Wood Street and Henley Street. And quite often the rebuilding of these properties was made a condition of a new lease. So they would say, they can have it at a reduced rental if they rebuild the property. By September 1598, in a petition for remission of taxes, the number of houses said to have been affected by those two fires, 1594 and 1595, was about 200 houses taken out at an estimated damage of 12,000 £12, pounds. And there was a third fire actually in, in 1614, which affected the block between, um, Sheep Street and Waterside, and I'll come back to that when we're talking about sort of Shakespearean involvement, which was supposed to take up 54 houses with a total damage of £8,000. This fire included a lot of barns and stables and other buildings containing what they called a great store of corn, hay, straw, wood and timber. So although the buildings themselves may not have been particularly um, valuable, what was stored in them certainly did add to the problem. 
The Stratfire project intends to use specifically dendrochronology to examine wood samples from this time period. Bob, how does the study of the growth rings in wood help the Stratfire project better understand this historical event? Well, at the moment, we're dependent really on the documentary sources, which might you might refer, as I said, in, in a lease that the fire, the building had to be rebuilt, or there might be a survey where they'd go around the town saying such and such a house is in need of repair. And also, of course, you can look at someone who knows something about timber frame buildings, can have a look at the building and say, well, that comes from about 1600 or, or something like that, because it's got all the features which are common to those sort of buildings. But what we don't know is exactly when the buildings were constructed. We might know that they were damaged, but you can't tell how quickly the you know, rebuilding took place. And above all, you can't tell the effect on the families involved either. So what a dendrochronology can do, I don't know if you know about the mechanics of this, but they take out a, they bore a sample out of a timber that the experts know are, are original to the building. And they can tell from the three rings in that core approximately when the timber was felled in order to build that house. The people who run this scheme have a master set of dates and rings and sort of um, you know, the, you know, the difference between the, uh, the rings to actually tell you what date the timber was felled, what date the tree was felled. And, and you can say that, okay, if they left the timber for a year or two to season, you can then date the building more precisely than just either the documents or the architectural evidence. And it helps sort of piece together the timeline there of how fast the town was responding to this and exactly what all went into it. The Stratfire project, it was funded by Historic England in order to bring these three strands of evidence together. They're funding a, what's called a building archaeologist who does a survey of the building and says, you know, this is of such and such a proximate date. And then you have the dendrochronologist who comes along and takes a sample of an original timber. And then there's me, who does the documentary research. And by bringing these three things together, we think we will be able to give a better picture of the extent of of the fire. And we're concentrating actually on Chapel Street and High Street, which we think was the epicentre of one of the fires. Um, You know, the funding may not be sufficient to go beyond those two streets. That's actually where we're starting. What were some of the witness accounts from the fire in 1594 specifically, and what did they say about the severity of the flames? We've got an account of the the 1594 fire from, uh, surprisingly, a chronology that was kept by someone who lived in Shrewsbury, not all that far away, but um, certainly not a local person. And he wrote, this year and the 30th day of May in Stratford-upon-Avon, there was burnt by mischance of fire above 100 houses and barns, which were lost and burnt, besides £2,000 worth in corn, barley and malt, being one of the chiefest towns in England for malt making. The original of which fire came by the negligence of an old woman. I've been to that already. Uh, the witch fire began at nine o'clock in the morning on the same day and continued until six of the clock at night with great force by reason the wind that that day was somewhat big, that for all the help of the country thereabouts, 
and the heaviness of the townsmen being occupied for the most part in carrying out of their stuff out of their houses into the fields and into the midst of the street that they could hardly remedy it before night. That's the only sort of witness account that I've been able to find. The theory is that um, quite quite a number of these urban fires were um, made the subject of pamphlets that were then circulated. And there's no surviving pamphlet for Stratford, but we think this um, chronicler from Shrewsbury must have got that information from a pamphlet that was circulated. That's the only account of an actual fire and the sort of panic that it that it did cause. I can only imagine the massive panic. I mean, you think about, I mean, that, that must have been really foreboding to see that across the way of just this massive fire and the wind spreading it and then for it to continue into the night. I, it makes sense that people, not, not just in Stratford, but anyone who could witness what was going on and, and fires are visible from a good distance. So you'd think that you know, and you had to have the fear of, is this going to spread? Is it coming to my town? And that had to have been a terrifying event for the for the surrounding towns and villages there for, for sure. And I think after, I think his witness account said 100 houses, is that correct? Yeah, well, there were 150 together in the fires of 1594 and 95, yeah. Okay. About were, were any of William Shakespeare's properties burned in the fires? Because I know you mentioned Henley Street and the Shakespeare's birthplace is on Henley Street. We know that certain properties in Henley Street were damaged by fire. And we know that there's, there are other ones in the street that weren't damaged by fire. So we don't know one way or the other uh, whether Shakespeare's house was actually one of the casualties. But I mean, there's certainly, there's some speculation. Well, not just speculation, but the, you know, the coincidence of the date between the fires, 94, 95, and Shakespeare's purchase of New Place, for instance in 1597 perhaps the family decided to you know remove themselves from henley street to a much more um, extensive property in in chapel street because of some sort of um a fire damage we don't know that for certain surely the town must have taken some kind of action after these fires came through and caused this much damage. They, I would expect them to do something to try and prevent this type of fire from happening again. What kind of measures were instituted to keep this outbreak from occurring? Well, one of the um, main causes of the damage, and it was usually appeared in, in the collection briefs and so on, was actually um, the straw or thatch. Thatch that was used to um, roof the houses. And if that caught, um, it would then, and you know, the wind was strong, which is, which is quite often the case, the straw would then be carried quite easily from one house to another. And that can actually sometimes result in fire damage. There can be um, sort of one house you know was damaged and one next door wasn't damaged. And it may have been just because the straw wasn't actually um, caught fire on that particular house. The precautions that the local authorities took was to try and reduce the amount of thatch that was in use, at least for their own properties. They could control the amount of thatch that was used on their own properties. So if they were granting a new lease, they would require it to be finished with with slate and tile rather than thatch. And they also tried to persuade um, other people who owned property in the town to do the same. But they had a bit of a, a bit of a problem with this because they didn't actually have the powers to actually enforce that. 
And although they could look after their own properties, they had to go to the Privy Council in London to get the powers necessary for making sure that all the houses in the town were slated and tiled rather than thatched. And But even that, I don't think, was entirely successful because, as I said before, there was a fire in 1614 and another one in 16, in a fourth one in 1641. And so obviously that didn't completely solve the problem. And um, there were several instances of people being presented for thatching for fourth you know, maintaining thatched houses or not rebuilding in thatch that go into the 1620s and 1630s. So although they had this power, um, they weren't able necessarily to enforce it. Was there never any thought of installing some kind of fire brigade, or we call them fire departments here? We we even have local fire response teams when your town is located outside of the the city proper. So if it's like a small town, that the people in the town will form a, a volunteer fire response team. Was there some kind of fire organized fire response team established there in Stratford-upon-Avon? Or was it the only response was about, you know, let's build our houses out of different, less flammable material? Well, the only firefighting that was organised by the local authority or by the town council was expecting the aldermen and the capital burgesses to keep six leather buckets outside their houses full of water. That was all that they expected to happen. Just one, just a bucket. Yeah, just, just, (laughs) no, hang on, no, no, there were... They kept buckets of water. I'm not sure. I'm not sure actually off the top of my head. Okay. Whether there was only just one. But there was some kind of oh, let's yeah. hang, keep hang water on. at hand okay. anyway. Yeah. In the book of orders, it says that every alderman should provide one leather bucket and every cup capital bird just one bucket to carry water in for the better defense and preservation of the houses and buildings of the said borough from and against casualty of fire. And that was in 1614. So they they still hadn't got themselves organized. And when they carried out this survey just before the fire of 1614, they found that only seven of the 27-man governing body actually was found to have the stipulated number of buckets, which didn't help, obviously, when two or three weeks later, fire did, in fact, break out. Uh, Later on, there's some expenditure in the corporation accounts on things like fire hooks and ladders. So if they could pull the burning thatch off the house, that would obviously help a great deal. And there's also some references to lead spouts, which suggests that they were using water from the wells in order to, you know, to get some water out above the ground. But and they didn't have a fire brigade here for, for many years. Obviously, since there was at least a third fire in 1614, all of these measures they were implementing to try and prevent the fires didn't work completely. I wonder if you could tell us about the fire of 1614 and what is it about where the fires were occurring that makes us think Shakespeare might have been there and witnessed this fire outbreak? The 1614 fire, which affected Chapel Lane, we know that the fire crept up the lane and it got to where Shakespeare's Great Garden is today. So if he was installed in New Place at the time, he would have seen the fire sort of spreading up Chapel Lane and perhaps begun, began to get slightly anxious. Which in 1614, general scholarship yeah. thinks that Shakespeare would have been retired to Stratford-upon-Avon yeah, then. So it's it's yeah. more yeah. than plausible that he would have been there for that. Yeah. 
Oh, that's scary. I'm glad it didn't catch fire and burn it all down. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's still there for us to see. <laughs> well, I know we would love to explore this topic further. What are some of your favorite books or resources you can recommend we use to learn more? Well, specifically about the Stratford fires, there's not a lot in, in print, actually. <laughs> I don't want to recommend my own writings, but there's, there are two articles. I wrote an article on, on Stratford's fire of 1614. Which appeared in um, in Warwickshire History in 2017, uh, winter of 2016-17, and also the the earlier fires of 1594-95. There's an article in Midland History of 2000 about those fires, and I'm currently putting together the finishing touches to um, minutes and accounts of the Stratford Corporation, 1610 to 1620, which has got transcripts of all. The fire documents for 1614. So if people want, it will be out later this year, I'm sure, if people wanted to follow follow it up and to actually see see the documentation, because the 1614 fire is more interesting from the point of view of documentation, because we know we have the names of the people who actually were affected by the fires and the damage that they estimated being done to their property. Also, how they then sent out people in across the country to actually collect money and how much they collected. And one thing's quite interesting, because although they gave these estimates of, of very high losses, um, something like that, sort of £18,000 for the 1614 fire, for instance, the amount they actually collected was far less than that. And, and when you look at other urban fires, you can find that um, they only brought in a fraction of the total damage. So whether they were exaggerating or whether... They were unsuccessful in their sort of crowdfunding, as we would call it. So it remains to be seen. And I think one of the um, aims of the Stratfire project is to find out quite how severe the damage was. I mean, we we sort of know that these fires occurred because they the corporation kept on about them because they wanted to have a reduction in taxation. But we wanted to actually know exactly how many or how much damage had been done and whether the families who were involved actually suffered themselves or financially because you can do reconstructions of other families and you can see whether they went went up the social ladder or, or down the social ladder in subsequent years and that's something that we're also including in the Stratfire project. Well we will place links to these resources in the show notes for today's episode and the minutes and accounts of the Stratford Corporation Bob's referencing here that's going to be published later that is the collection of a lot of the quotes and different things that he is reading to us during this conversation so definitely make sure to check out the show notes so you can follow up on that and find out where you can read that when it's published later this year. Now Bob we ask everyone this next question here at that Shakespeare life and that's what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island. My friends in England tell me I'm to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible. So your choice would be in addition to those. Well, would I be allowed to have um, a a set of volumes? Uh, Absolutely, yes. We've had encyclopedias and collected works, so yes, you may. (laughs) Okay, well, the uh, the volume that I'm just just putting finishing touches to, which is the Minutes and Accounts of the Stafford Corporation, 1610 to 1620, that's actually volume seven of a set which has been in progress since 1921, covering the entire period from 1553 right up to 1620. And all the documentation for those earlier fires, actually, of 1594 and 1595, are also mostly included in, in those. 
I never get tired of reading through the raw data about how you know, the small market town of Stratford sort of governed itself during the lifetimes of William Shakespeare and uh, various members of his family. So um, I'd like to have all seven volumes available for me, which I won't get tired of reading, I'm sure. That sounds like an excellent selection for your Desert Island book. Absolutely. Bob Behrman, thank you so much for being here and talking with us about the history of these fires that happened in Shakespeare's lifetime and that Shakespeare himself could have witnessed. It's been really fun looking at these historical details, and I've enjoyed getting to know more about the Stratfire Project. Thank you so much for being here. If you like the show today, be sure to let us know about it. Drop us a comment and a rating on the platform you're listening from today. If you would like to see some visual history that goes along with the Stratfire project you've learned about today, including some diagrams of places like Henley Street and Chapel Street and some information on dendrochronology and other tidbits packed into the show notes for today's episode, you can visit our entire show notes page. That's the best place to get more information on where you can learn more on this project, as well as more about Bob Behrman and his work, all at CassidyCash.com slash episode 257. That's CassidyCash.com slash EP257. If you enjoy our show and want to hear even more interviews about what it was like to live in turn of the 17th century England the way Shakespeare would have lived it, then consider becoming a patron. We have over 150 additional episodes available in our archives, and you can listen to as many as you want from the patrons-only RSS feed. In addition to our back catalog of audio episodes, all of our episodes still have their connecting show notes, and when you log in as a patron, you get to see all that bonus history as well. Patrons who support the show are treated to behind-the-scenes extras, including sneak peeks at upcoming guests, the chance to participate in interviews by submitting your questions you'd like us to ask, as well as bonus episodes recorded just for patrons. There are a lot of benefits to unpack over on Patreon, and you can find all of them when you join us today at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That Shakespeare Life is researched and produced by me, Cassidy Cash. Our audio engineer is Gary Mayholm. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.